Jimmy Nardello, a tough teen pepper seed, has just been picked up by the local police for questioning after an incident with another member of his seed lot. The seeds these days, you can't trust them. Who knows what they're carrying under their coats? I blame the parent line. Didn't your mother spray you with copper? You leave my mother out of this. Now what am I in here for? Jimmy, you're a good kid. And you've got a lot of yield potential. But you've been raised in a bad environment, Jimmy, and we're staging an intervention here. Oh yeah? An intervention over what? You lied on your greenhouse application. Your resume said you were disease-free. But some of the other bin runs seed you hang around with were infected, and it spread to other plants. I don't know nothing about it. Listen, Jimmy, we'll let you join your pals in the transplant house if you just tell us if you're carrying. You don't have to rat on nobody, but we know you ran around with the other seeds in that lot, and some of them are... Well, what can I say? A bad influence? See, you guys are barking up the wrong capsicum. I've been chlorine treated. Chlorine just scratches the surface, you punk. This goes deep, and we want the root. You can't handle the root. I want a lawyer. To be continued. Hello, everyone. It's March 24th. Welcome to the Vegetable Beat, a live weekly roundtable discussion during the growing season for vegetable producers in the Great Lakes and Midwest region. Um, we are live from Nebraska, Illinois, and Ohio this week. And I'm your host, Katie King from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Mike Rinke is our tech guru in the background, helping everything run smoothly. And today we'll be talking about seed starting and disease prevention. Um, I am joined today by Dr. Francesca Rotondo, Research Associate in the Department of Plant Pathology and Coordinator of the Vegetable Pathology Labs Diagnostic Services at The Ohio State University, and also Dr. Mohamed Babagus, Professor and Faculty Extension Specialist focused on vegetable and fruit crop diseases at the University of Illinois. A reminder to live attendees in the Zoom room or on Facebook, you can submit questions to the chat or Q&A box or as Facebook comments. And we will try to answer those as we go along today um, and save some for the end as well. So without further ado, um, thank you both for being here today. I'm excited to talk to you all. So let's dive right in and talk about seed starting and disease prevention. So we're talking about the beginning step of the production process that applies to any vegetable grower, really, um, whether you're a commercial producer or a home gardener. And one of the first potential contamination points is the seed. So um, can one of you provide some context for today's topic and talk about some of the common seedborne pathogens and which ones producers are likely to experience in vegetable production? Sure. If you would like to start, Mohammed, or I can... Uh, you can go ahead then. Okay, sure. Fine. And then feel free to fill in if I miss uh, something. So um, interesting uh, on seeds as seedborne pathogen, we can find uh, all uh, categories of pathogens. So we go from bacterial to fungal disease to viral disease and nematode. So all this class can be uh, present being seed-borne and seed-transmitted and cause disease on uh, pathogen uh, on, uh, on your crop. And uh, usually we consider a seed-borne um, 
disease where the seed constitute the primary source for then the outbreak that you are going to observe in the field. And of course, uh, in that case, uh, um, we have uh, um, seeds that can be affected uh, actively from uh, the bacteria or the fungus or then be a, a passive uh, um, infection of these seeds. Either way uh, is always uh, recommended for the grower, as you say, that is a commercial grower or um, a, a home gardener to always start with clean seed. And this is what um, is, is the best uh, recommendation that we always give uh, to them. Yeah. Okay, I can, I can go mention regarding seed-borne pathogens Really, uh, by training, I was trained during my graduate school to be a seed pathologist. And uh, uh, if, if well, I'm sure most of you know uh, that two books came from Denmark. Denmark in just about 1970s. And uh, both of them, seed pathology, uh, Nilgard, Nilgard in Denmark published. And later on, uh, there was a new edition of the seedborne pathogens or seedborne diseases published by one person from University of Illinois, another person from India. Oh, that's the newest one. But we do have a lots of um, seedborne bacteria, seedborne fungi. Uh, seedborne viruses and a few seedborne nematodes. And that's not huge, but they are some. Um, one of the area was very important in seedborne pathogen was state of Washington. Northwestern Washington called the Puget Sound area mainly produced about 90% of the brassica seeds used in the United States, like cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and so on. And seedborne pathogens are extremely important. Like for, for example, Chrysanthemonas campestris campestris is number one pathogen in the brassica. And so important, even one seed, one infected seed in one in 10,000 seed could end up being in the epidemic. That's almost a zero tolerance. And similarly, we, we have other fungi also like Alternaria and the other, others as well. And later on, I worked on the seedborne pathogens of uh, small grain, wheat and the barley. We do have quite few also uh, seedborne diseases uh, up there. Seedborne disease or seedborne pathogen, I, I have to rightly say, we have to say seedborne really pathogen does not mean the pathogens inside uh, could be in the seed, could be on the seed. Like for example, smuts. Smut spores are on the seed and the Xanthemonas uh, uh, campestris is in the seed or Clavibacter michiganensis in the seed. So this is the area really very huge and the treatment, seed treatment to prevent uh, diseases is the cheapest, safest way, safest way to my knowledge to really uh, manage the diseases. I stop here and uh, I have more to say later on. 
but we've got more to talk about. Um, so you mentioned seed treatments a little bit, and that's where I kind of want to take this conversation next. Next, so um, let's talk about some of the methods or a method um, that producers can use to kill pathogens within the seed first. Um, we can go into the, the pathogens that are gonna be on the seed um, if we wanna go there too, but let's talk about the ones that are in the seeds. So um, some different methods. I think both of you all have done research in this area. So um, Francesca, do you wanna start? Sure. Um, well, for the, the pathogen within the seed is always recommended the heat treatment, so hot water treat the seeds, because the heat is going to kill the pathogen This is under the seed. And um, we did a lot of experiment uh, to test this treatment uh, on different um, uh, um, vegetables, on different crops. And uh, um, it's always uh, recommend when you do hot uh, water treatment, to test your treatment on a small portion of your seed, because of course, can be uh, if it's too or, or the temperature are not the ones that are is are suggested, or the time is longer, then could have a um, negative impact on germination and viability of the seeds. But uh, briefly, um, the seed treatment consists in. Uh, uh, using uh, preheated warm uh, water, usually at 37 Celsius, where you will leave your seed usually wrapped in a cheesecloth. And you don't want the seed to be compacted in this uh, net, but you want that the uh, water can uh, be uh, surrounding the seed uniformly. So also the heat is going to surround all the seeds uniformly. And then you will move uh, these seeds at the recommended temperature. The growers or whoever wants to do a seed treatment can find these recommended uh, temperatures in all the fact sheets. As Ohio State, uh, we have the fact sheets and so are always reported time and temperatures. And uh, for instance, for pepper is recommended 51 Celsius for 20 minutes. And after this time, you have to be really quick in cooling for the cooling down process, because if you don't cool it down fast enough, then this uh, um, heat is still working on the seed. So it's usually a rinse in tap water, cold tap water for five minutes, and then you want to layer to dry in a uniform uh, or single layer so also the humidity doesn't stay for longer on the seed and also that could affect eventually germinability. And then you are ready to go. Um, we always recommend, and that is more for the surface, uh, the seeds, the so pathogen that are on the surface also to follow up with Clorox treatment, but we can go to that later. I don't um, need to talk about that. But. Mohammed, would you talk about why um, heat is considered the most effective treatment for seed pathogens within the seed? Well, it is, uh, it is very important because we practically try to eradicate the pathogen in the, in, in the seed and prevent the disease development. 
in disease management, we have two uh, methods. One is just to eradicate the initial inoculum. If there is no initial inoculum, there will be no disease. And that's very important. And the second method is we are not able to eradicate the initial inoculum. And then we have to do all we can do, slow down disease development and the spread. That's much difficult. And that's why C treatment is so important. As Francis mentioned that if the pathogen is on the seed, on the seed, sometimes we may say, okay, this is the seed. This is, for example, wheat seed. This is their wheat seed, or this is their cabbage seed or pumpkin seed. But we do have little beyond that one. For example, in Illinois, Illinois is the leading state in horseradish production. And the uh, horseradish is uh, just the grown from the previous root. The root they harvest and they cut little piece and then plant it. That's also we consider as a seed. And that, that carries quite a few pathogen, fungal pathogen. So all of them, whatever we start from the beginning to have the crop, and that's considered the seed. So uh, water, hot water is quite important if possible. In the vegetable seed is very important. But when we go to a big crop like corn, like wheat, like rice, like soybean, that is not, that's not easy to do that. And we have to use, we have to use some kind of chemical. And we have to be very careful what kind of chemical we're using. If the pathogen is carried on the seed, we can easily use some kind of chemical and contact it, fungicide, for example, and get rid of it. Like, for example, uh, let's say cowrisma in the wheat. But if the pathogens in the seed, like a, a loose smut of the wheat, like, a, for example, bacteria, brassicas, or bacteria in uh, cucurbit seed, they are in the seed, or clavibacter michiganensis in tomato seed, then we can do that. We have to go hot water treatment, but hot water treatment is, is somewhat difficult. And we have to be very skillful to do it. If somebody just uh, buys a very high-priced seed and start hot water treatment, that may not work because it, the seed might be damaged. The germination might be lowered, but more than germination and the seedling vigor. Sometimes we, we may have the same seed germination, let's say originally is 95%, we treat, then we get 95%, but we have to also check the seedlings, how vigorous they are, how strong they are. That's another point. We have to do research. Research for particular seed, particular crop, and the particular location. We can't just uh, go and exactly, if something worked out in Europe, we can't just uh, uh, use in the United States because the cultivars are different. And if we have to do that particular cultivar and we have to test and make sure it is working. One more thing, so seed-borne disease is so important. For example, in basil, uh, we grow lots of basil. Until 2009, we didn't have any down and mildew of basil in Illinois and the East Coast, they got basil from Europe. They came, mm -hmm. everybody believes they came 
in or on the sea. And right now we have everywhere. We, we have to deal with the uh, down a mildew of basil every year. So that's how important it is. Sit-bone pathogen, how important uh, are sick treatments we can't emphasize more than this. And how cheaper is, how safer and cheaper is, for example, in let's say cucurbit, pumpkin and the squash seed, we do have Phytophthora, Phytophthora abscessive. It is a seed-borne disease. And uh, it, we uh, uh, worked up a seed treatment. It can prevent Phytophthora at least for five weeks because we do not have uh, resistant cultivar. And how much it costs? About not more than 10 cents per acre. And is very good at least for five weeks, we are able uh, effectively manage that particular disease. So uh, I stop here again. So it seems like, I mean, it, it, it's very feasible for anybody to do this, um, but some of the larger seeds, are, it's really not feasible to treat them just based on their size. Um, and we had a question come in, um, is there a maximum size root piece that should not be treated? Um, Francis, uh, Francisco, you want to go first? Uh, so we uh, usually for uh, our trial, we always um, uh, treat like small seeds. So like pepper, tomato, or um, crucifer seeds and all these as Mohammed was pointing out so our we test uh, with um, in in our laboratory how is uh, um, so everything that is reported for instance in our uh, um, fat sheets has been tested in uh, in laboratory assays and also in the field and uh, um, so for we always, uh, some of the cucurbit seeds could be tested. However, it's always recommended because of varieties and cultivar and different sensitivity to start um, test a small lot of your seeds. You don't want to um, waste all your seeds if then that particularly variety is, is more sensitive to the, the cultivar. But usually, all vegetable crops could be uh, easily um, the the most common crop I would say could be treated. And always, I I wanna um, stress again: be careful and be uh, follow the rules. So follow the timing and the temperature because that could also be um, uh, have some negative effect. And like for us, what I'm seeing in, uh, in the diagnostic season, um, and we saw also in our experiment, um, see uh, water seed treated, they were uh, infested with uh, um, tomato canker, so Clavibacter michiganiensis, compared to not treated seeds. So the incidence and the disease severity was basically, uh, we didn't have diseases in the hot water treated seed while was uh, basically a devastated field uh, when we were going in the ones that didn't receive the treatment. So we, we uh, yeah, we stand behind our uh, methodology, yeah. So I, I know we're talking about um, treating the seed. Um, we have a question that has come in um, from Minnesota. Um, 
We've been hearing more and more that seed companies are treating seed ahead of time, especially broccoli. It can sometimes be hard to get a hold of seed company reps to know how they are screening for different pathogens or treating proactively. Do you have any recommendations for avoiding treating seed twice or deciding which seeds to treat? Well, seed companies treat the seed in general. For example, sometimes they use Tyron. Tyron is just a, on the seed, it's a contact fungicide, and that's for whatever pathogen, fungal pathogen, not all of them, but some of them are on the seed and take care of it and prevent contamination, prevent also, I'm sorry, uh, prevent contamination of the seed later on. That's not, that's not good enough. We have to know a pathogen, what kind of pathogen possibly come in the seed or in the seed or on the seed. And uh, sometimes we have to uh, treat again the seeds before planting. Going back to size of the seeds, uh, I don't, to me, the size of the seed does not matter and the quantity of the seed matters. For example, if we planting it, let's say wheat, we're talking about tons of the seed. We're going to be planting bread wheat or barley or corn or soybean. That is not possible to eat with hot water. That's almost impossible. We have to use the best possible fungicide or chemical. I mean, not only fungicide, we may use biocontrol agents sometimes. And uh, when it comes to hot water treatment, I have been treating brassica seeds, very small, you know, cabbage seed, broccoli seed, uh, Brussels sprout. I have been treating uh, uh, cucurbit seed, pumpkin. Pumpkin seed is pretty big. We can do in a small size, we can do wheat and the corn and soybean. I have been treating in hot water very successfully horseradish roots. Horseradish roots, each one is about 10 to 12 inches and about half inch in diameter. That's pretty big. We treat it very successfully. And then we practically eradicated two species of verticillium three species of fusarium carried in and under, under what we say rootstock and the uh, root seed and the uh, low quantity. In Europe, for example, uh, they were treating, for example, apples. Apple for post-harvest disease. That is not really seed treatment, but they put in the box and went to uh, the hot water for a period of the time and then cleaned up, cleaned up apple. And similarly, if we have, for example, root, onion, or, or other stuff, we can put in the box and then make a machine that certain time treat with a certain temperature not to really uh, affect the um, germination or other, other characteristic, but also get rid of the uh, pathogen in there. We have to be very, very careful again. I'm emphasizing that what cultivar we're using. We just cannot say this worked with that cultivar and should work this cultivar too. We have to do experiment and make sure it is working very well. And in the beginner, the hot water, let's say the bath, the hot water, hot water uh, place retreating has to be very, very carefully. Frances, mentioned that we have to start from the 
time temperature reaches, let's say 50 degrees Celsius or 52 degrees Celsius or 55 degrees Celsius from that time and after 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is, and cool down quite fast. Otherwise the germination and, this, and plant vigor will be affected. Francesca, you work um, closely with the diagnostic lab Mm -hmm. at Ohio State University. So um, how does this come into play a lot with um, the work you do in the lab in working with producers and um, growers and other people in extension? Yes, so uh, of course, when, uh, when we um, talk and interact with grower or extension educators, we always, um, we give answer on what is the problem, but we also give management strategies to, to manage the process. And as I mentioned at the beginning, so of course, managing a disease is a lot of different, goes through different steps. But the first one that I said at the beginning is always clean seeds, clean transplant. It's also good uh, to keep in mind that these seed-borne diseases can affect the plant and be detected at different stage of the plant, can affect since the beginning, so no germinability because they're infected, or can infect the seedlings, so we have the dumping off, like pithium or botrytis, or then can be even go undetected uh, at the seedling stage, but then have huge outbreaks in the fields, and that is tomato canker, xanthomonas, uh, bacterial leaf spot, or black rot with the cabbage, uh, the xanthomonas campestris campestris. And for this reason, we will never stress enough, and Mohammed, I believe, is on my side to say, treat your seed wherever is possible, because it's the first step, is what, and is what we always, um, talk to the grower in every, that is a webinar, if it's a crop walk, if it's a, uh, just an extension agent that comes in, we always give hands out of uh, the fact sheets and will never be enough. So it seems always that we repeat, but you know, so for Latin repetita juvan, so more you repeat, more you have a benefit and, of, and the message goes through. And we work a lot with Amish community. And that is really important because of course the communication is, is a different, uh, is really different uh, uh, interacted with Amish or Mennonite community. But once you breach and you have the trust of a community, then that kind of amplifies and uh, transfer the right message also to, to the other community. And so it's really important to have an effective communication and adequate communication, depending on who is your uh, person that is talking with you and interacting with you. So that is on a daily basis. And personally, we see a lot of the bacterial diseases uh, in, uh, in the Northwest, um, Ohio, and even in, in the fields around the bacterial diseases, especially when the field condition are favorable than are, um, are the main diseases that we are seeing. And of course, then if goes undetected and are not managed properly, are really hard to manage uh, because there are not really a lot of options for the field application. And so that is my personal experience on this part. 
the bacterial diseases are um, a lot of what we experience here, especially in the yeah. eastern part of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So definitely identify with that. Um, are there other seed treatments that could be relevant here that um, should be on people's radars? Um, Let me mention something about um, hot water treatment. Uh, hot water treatment is very good and very safe. We're not going to have any resistant development in the pathogens in the short run or long run. But, but we have to consider, uh, once again, not to really damage the seed germination and seedling vigor. Another thing is, when we use hot water, and treat the seed. When we're talking about hot water, usually we're talking about uh, something about 50 to 60 degrees Celsius, and it's pretty hot. We usually 100, let's say 17, 122 Fahrenheit. And it is not only uh, killing the pathogen, but also killing all the microorganisms carried on the seed. And when we kill all of them, seed is not protected. We have to apply some kind of protection, either fungicide or biocontrol. We do have some biocontrols right now, and they work pretty well too. Apply on the seed before planting. That that's really important on hot water treatment. Just a, just a, if we do hot water treatment, let's say take cabbage seed and hot water treatment and plant immediately, it could be attacked. Uh, if, uh, by soil-borne pathogens. Some of the seed, seed-borne pathogens also soil-borne pathogens, like Fusarium, for example, like Vercilium, and sometimes some bacteria, not the Xanthomonas, but some other bacteria too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so after hot water treatment, definitely treating a seed with some kind of protectum, uh, fungicide is, uh, is essential. And uh, Aside from the uh, hot water treatment, hot water treatment we discussed is small amount of the seed or usually small seeds. Uh, beside that one, we can use uh, sodium hypochloride. Sodium hypochloride has been used too. And uh, when we use sodium hypochloride, we can really remove the pathogen from, from carried pathogen on the seed, not in the seed. Sodium hypochloride cannot go into the seed and kill the pathogen. And in one case, uh, with the Baraska, uh, Xanthomonas campestris campestris, and we had outbreak somewhere in the West, and I was using uh, sodium hypochloride, it did not work. It's just the uh, temperature, room temperature, uh, sodium hypochloride. Then I had to really warm up what we what I called hot sodium hypochloride. It worked pretty well. It was published. It just removed the bacteria. Bacteria was not in the seed. Bacteria was on the seed, but some of the cavities, you know, some of the cavities on the seed is hiding there. And the sodium hypochloride by itself was not going deep enough to find the seed, either using a warm sodium hypochloride or a little bit maybe detergent at the sodium hypochloride, and that helps is connection, is going to the surface and removing the pathogen. And 
that's one. And aside from hot water, uh, your question, we do have um, uh, biocontrolated. Right now, we do have some uh, bacteria like a bacillus, and we do have some fungi, biocontrolled fungi. Quite few of them right now is available. And uh, they may not be 100% effective, but they are effective. But fungicide, we do have fungicide. For example, let's say in barley. Barley is a big crop. We do have a disease at exclusively seed barley in barley. Barley stripe, uh, the fungal disease. Only through the seed. If the seed has the pathogen, that plant will die. There will be no nothing at all. Any infected seed will, will die. And uh, uh, we can do that. We can do use some uh, systemic uh, fungicide. For example, in uh, let's say another one is uh, uh, what we call uh, in stilago in wheat and the barley. It is the known as a uh, not the coward smut is loose smut. Loose smut in the small grain and. Uh, we have been using a systemic compound and very effective. In the United States, we practically don't see any uh, loose smut anymore. But if you travel North Africa and Middle East and Asia, you will see it's still there. You will see loose smut is still there. You will see even cover smut is, is, is still there. We don't see them in the United States. Those compounds, particularly systemic uh, Fungicides are very, very effective. You don't have to use a lots of them. Very reasonable, relatively very cheap, and very effective. And so far, I have not heard any really resistant development. And uh, uh, fungicide and the biocontrol agents are available for C2. Interesting. Francesca, I know earlier um, in the podcast, you mentioned something about bleach, I believe, mm. um, as an additional treatment after? Uh, is this a sodium chloride and uh, is a classic uh, bleach. They usually is a one to five dilution. And this is to be quick. Uh, so when we were talking about heat treatment, usually the treatment goes between the pre-eating step and the heat treatment, uh, the actual like, heat treatment is about 30 minutes plus the five minutes rinse. The um, Clorox treatment, what we call Clorox treatment, it goes, is really quick. It's one minute where the seeds are in contact. And usually, as Mohammed says, it's always suggested to put a detergent to make the effect, to make it more effective and be more in contact uh, with the seeds. And then uh, also in this case, you want it to be... Uh, to pass the seed to a nice rinse in tap water because you don't want that any res residue of the uh, Clorox solution stays on the seed that, that could impact negatively the, um, those seeds. But it's basically what Mohammed has described uh, earlier. So it's, um, yeah. And the other things uh, in this case for uh, this kind of treatment, since we uh, deal a lot with organic grower, 
not all uh, the, so the whoever does and wants to uh, eventually rely on this uh, type of uh, seed sanitation should check with the certifier if this treatment is allowed because it's a chemical and so has to be this is something that goes by certifier to certifier so it's, it's something that people should be aware of definitely um what about in your labs at Ohio State and at Illinois? Um, is there any current or new research in this area that you're working on? We do, actually. And uh, so... so that you can share. Yeah, <laughs> I will share on, the, on uh, like a, a general introduction, so like lines, because also I don't have the knowledge of all the chemistry, are more on the uh, practical sides isolation of the pathogen, identification on molecular side, but then all the, what is behind the treatment uh, as a chemist, uh, I don't have this knowledge. I can understand, but not explain it step by step. However, so what we were seeing when we were talking about bacterial diseases, what we are starting to observe is our, uh, an increase I work a lot with xanthomonas and, and canker, clearly. <laughs> I always talk about these two pathogens. But so we saw by surveying xanthomonas uh, infected fields of tomato, that the resistance uh, population of xanthomonas to copper is increased over time. And of course, is what has been applied usually in the field. So we have different uh, uh, projects, research projects that involve uh, not only Ohio State, but it's a collaboration with different universities across the country to evaluate different formulation of copper that are called nanoparticles, so are really small in size, and make the content. So for instance, if you consider the classic uh, copper treatment, like a tennis ball, uh, of a size of a tennis ball, these particles are a little rock, like maybe a, a salt, a grain salt. So it gets more in contact with the uh, bacteria and are more effective in killing it. So there is a lot of work that is going um, to these, what are called nanoparticles. And there are different formulations, can be copper, can be um, magnesium oxide, can be silver. And so we have uh, tried and had some experiment in our uh, department as a, a master thesis project, and we saw good results. Of course, then they have to go. It's not just field testing from us, then has to go through formulation and be approved. And similarly, with the full health uh, department at the Ohio State, we are testing what are called small molecules and are other type of small molecules that uh, have been screened in collaboration with others lab to see uh, if are effective in killing uh, pathogens. Usually we work a lot with bacterial pathogens. So in this case, all this screening is on different, has been done on different bacterial pathogens like Santomonas, Pseudomonas, Clavibacter, uh, Ervinia for cucurbits, Ervinia milover, uh, um, sorry, milover, Ervinia trachephila, and so that 
is what we are doing. And, uh, and uh, this is not only Ohio State, it's across, is the main focus, is trying to find a new viable option. And also with these particles, the nanoparticles, not only for size are more effective, but also the hope is that you need to apply less product and so have less residue in the field. And that oh, that's is great. I would say seed treatment is very valuable, obviously, no question about that. But particularly seed treatment is very important when the seed-borne pathogen, you know, the pathogen carried on or in the seed, exclusively seed-borne. Uh, for example, let's say Xanthomonas campestris, campestris in brassica seed, like cabbage, broccoli. That's almost a uh, almost exclusively seed-borne, not, not 100%, but mainly seed-borne. And seed produced in the state of Washington going to Georgia, and the, the bacteria, uh, the pathogen is not going to fly from there to Georgia. So seed-borne is important. Seed treatment is important. But if the pathogen is not exclusively seed-borne, let's say in tomato, in tomato, uh, very similarly, I believe in Ohio, Nebraska, Illinois, we do have at least a three bacterial disease called the Xanthomonas, Pseudomonas, and, the, and Clavibacter, uh, bacterial spot, bacterial stick, and bacterial canker. All of them are seed-borne. Uh, in Illinois, for example, most important one is bacterial spot, Xanthomonas. Xanthomonas, we just identified two species in Illinois rather than single species, has to be investigated and find what we have. We, we can treat the seed if not treated by the companies, if not certified, we can treat the seed, but the pathogen is still in the nature, will come. We really doing it, seed treatment to delay disease development as much as possible meaning that seed treatment should be a component of IPM, uh, uh, integrated disease management. Otherwise, if you treat the seed, you may delay maybe two weeks, three weeks, whatever, uh, delay in the disease development. But the nature has the pathogen and the pathogen will find its way and we will get infection. So always a good idea to know the biology of the pathogen, biology of the disease, to make sure that where seed treatment stands. Seed treatment alone, when the pathogen is seed-borne, soil-borne, or air-borne, or combination, is not going to be the only, only method to really deal with the disease. Should be a component of the integrated management. Yeah, that is a, is a really good point. And, uh, like for instance, just to to add oh, another bit of information, like a, if you think to the bacterial canker, yes, it's seed borne, but then is mechanically transmitted, and that make it even more uh, dangerous if you are not aware of the biology or how it's transmitted to plant to plant. So a grower or a home gardener have to be aware that then when he's doing pruning or uh, touching from plant to plant, if that plant is infected, it's going to be moved to the other plant. And so usually 
a quick detection and knowing the pathogen is what also help you to have a prompt strategy to react to and to um, defend your crop. So it's, it's good to know where, how is, it can happen. This is the disease management, the integrated management of the diseases, very important. Mm -hmm. For example, I can mention just a, Three or, uh, three or four, four years ago, I was one of the neighboring states, not Illinois, and one grower had uh, a big pumpkin patch, about 600 acres. And he showed me he was putting the pumpkin as, at harvest and taking to the stores in about four or five days later, all of them coming back infected. And he asked me, when I looked at the bean, then I went to the field. I realized when they were harvesting a pumpkin and some of the pumpkins infected by uh, Phytophthora capsicum in the bottom from the soil side. And the worker was picking up the pumpkin in two hands in the bottom on the one hand, then realized the fruit is infected and the, just the dropping down and going to another pumpkin and then uh, practically just spreading the pathogen on the pumpkin, then they putting the pumpkins in the beans and taking it to, let's say, Walmart and coming back in a few days and saying that all the pumpkins are infected. Was not. We have to know exactly the disease, where is the disease, how to take care of them from the beginning to the end until going to the market. And the, just the one seed uh, treatment usually is not good enough to take care of the effective management of the diseases, either in vegetable or even fruit. I think that's a really good way to wrap up our discussion this, after, this afternoon. Um, so I, I appreciate you um, saying that. And um, we did have a question where to find um, recommendations for temperature and time for um, the larger seed. So um, is there any um, resources out there that you can recommend? And I can also get those from you and put them in the show notes as well for um, our listeners later. So we uh, usually, if you uh, do a search, so for our, uh, in our fact sheets, we don't have recommendation for larger seeds, uh, uh, but I, I see online on extension, the other fact sheets, I think this information is available, but yeah, so it's, uh, you online and extend, also in this case, I would say reputable source of information, like for everything, you is not just a, a blog, but just <laughs> goes from the, the who studies, so from person or uh, like university that are dedicated to the field and, those information and so those can be easily found. There's another association called the International Seed Testing Association and uh, uh, all over the world and particularly United States, North America and Europe. And uh, uh, when the new knowledge came on and they put that kind of fact sheets or send all of the labs and they can print out and put in a folder. And that's very useful too. If somebody uh, let's say uh, extension educator or whoever interested in or need the information, 
could, could start from there and check what they, are, what they have available and start a research or start some kind of application from there. Once again, if something developed in Netherlands, I'm not going to recommend it in Illinois, I have to really make sure that that particular recommendation works in Illinois, that particular cultivar and that particular condition. That's a very good point. All right, well, we're gonna wrap things up. Um, this show is put on by the Great Lakes Vegetable Producers Network, a group of extension educators and researchers from across the Great Lakes region, and is supported by the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. We broadcast live via Zoom at 12.30 Eastern, 11.30 Central, every Wednesday from the first week of March to the first week of September, and we interview farmers, researchers, and others about topics relevant to vegetable growers. Join my colleague Ben Whirling, an application technology specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, Jason DeVoe, next week as they discuss the important topic of calibrating your sprayers. Francesca and Mohammed, thank you both for being here today. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us. I hope you all have a great week. We will talk to you next Wednesday, same time, same place. Thank you for uh, scheduling the session. Uh, well, thank good. you all so much for being here. I appreciate you it sharing your research and information with our listeners. So, no problem. <laughs> you guys have a great week and we will talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Jimmy Nardello, the tough teen pepper seed is on trial and the prosecuting lawyer is wrapping up his final argument. It is without a doubt that Jimmy Nardello is source for both bacterial and fungal pathogens and should be ground into rodent repellent. You put a seed like that out in society with a bunch of innocent plants, add a few closed vent days, and your whole bunch will go bad. I have nothing more to say, Your Honor. And the defense? Thank you, Your Honor. Now... While Jimmy has in fact been in the presence of infected criminals from lot number 111057, which has resulted in disease outbreaks in several states, he cannot be held accountable for what he might do. I rest my case. I think I've heard everything I need to hear. Though he was chlorine treated, there is another treatment that I think is more fitting for Jimmy's situation. Something hotter than the interrogation room with good cop and bad cop, but better for everyone. I hereby sentence Jimmy to a hot water treatment for 20 minutes at 125 degrees Fahrenheit. This treatment, when done precisely, will ensure that any diseases lying dormant on or under the seed coat are eradicated without damaging the germination of the seed. This is my ruling... Good day.